You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. Heck of a football game. You know, obviously came down to the last possession. You know, a lot of good out there. Um, you know, I think probably what I'm most proud of um, is how hard the players played in the game. You know, um, they they put it on the line. You know, I think across the board, it wasn't always pretty, but you're you're talking about a group that I'm on the sideline. I, I watched it with my own two eyes, and. Um, they played the game of football the right way. Um, got nothing but respect and admiration for our players. Um, the effort, the physicality, um, the mental toughness. Um, you know, this is a group that's made a ton of progress as people, right? Relative to making up a team, right? Having a team, having a group that cares for each other. You know, there's a legitimate brotherhood, right? Like I would do anything uh, for a teammate in that locker room, right? And I think um, that showed up tonight. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be 20, 25, 30 plays. You know, we get a handful of those 25 or 30, we probably win the game, okay? But we come up a little short. The football wasn't good enough tonight. There was a lot of good ball out there, but there was some things that we can do better. There's no question. Um, but I think probably I'm, just really, I'm, I'm proud of the intangibles that our team showed. Um, you know, in that locker room right now, there's a lot of guys that are it's tough. It's tough. When you do it the right way and you come up short, it's tough. Um, you know, I think it creates opportunities. There's no question that, you know, we need to remember every single part of that experience. Um, you know, this game can teach you a lot about life. Um, and I think that there's going to be lots of things that we can learn from, from tonight. All right, Florida comes up short in Tallahassee, loses here 38-45. to Florida with 460 total yards and FSU with 497. Um, a game where Florida, as I said, the key was to win, was to run the football. They did that as so in the first half. Anthony Richardson not looking too bad in the first half as well. Passing for 151 here and uh, rushing for 130 there in the first half. Florida also giving up as many rushing yards as they were giving to Florida State as well. Uh, Florida with a little bit more though, 262 total rushing yards to Florida State's 227 here. And penalties, man. Once again, rearing their ugly head, Florida 10 penalties for 91 yards. Uh, basically, you go down any stat line in this game, it's pretty close neck and neck between Florida and Florida State. The game went the way that I thought it was going to go. Uh, I figured Florida would probably, uh, they had a chance to win the game. I would thought they would have had a chance to win the game, but overall, uh, you know, as I said last week, I picked Florida State to win the game. 
but they did cover the spread. I believe that was like a 10-point spread. Florida covers that spread. The game is a lot closer than what people think. Uh, the only thing you know that I had an issue with this game was uh, going away from the run. In the third quarter, that, that, that's really what the Achilles heel was for this Florida Gator football team against Florida State here in Tallahassee. Only seven rush attempts here in the third quarter and seven pass attempts for zero yards. That was the Achilles heel right there. The third quarter of this game, I believe, if Florida would have just stuck with the run, which they were gashing Florida State all night, I think they would have came out with a lot closer of a uh, – of, it could have been a victory. Uh, it could have been a closer game as well. Uh that's really what hurt Florida. I mean, getting away there from the, uh, the the run there in the third quarter. I know they started out with a fumble, and uh, of course, that's that's the other thing that's that's been the Achilles heel of this team this whole year: getting a turnover and not getting any points off the turnover. Florida starts out with a forced fumble. Uh, then turns it over on downs. Florida State would then get a touchdown right afterwards. Kind of, uh, you know, just not really even putting a stamp on the beginning of the game. It was more of just Florida's inability to uh, create points off turnovers. Uh, but also Florida State did have one, had a interception, kind of one of those like weird interceptions, and uh, they didn't get any points off of that either. So Florida was still able to hold Florida State to, uh, you know, zero points uh, off turnovers. But, uh, you know, you go down to the first quarter, you put up 14, you put up 10 in the second quarter. And then, as I said, the third quarter, you're Achilles Hill, you put up zero points trying to pass the football. Uh, I don't know... Um, if 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 they were just trying to try something different coming out of halftime, but uh, you know you, you didn't need to be Joe Montana in this game. All you had to do hand the ball off, maybe some design runs, get Anthony Richardson more involved in the run game, and you probably come out of here with a victory. But you know game plan coming out of halftime was a little bit different. Didn't understand it. Uh, Florida was two for two in the red zone, but Florida State five for six, and uh, missed tackles. Man. Huge in this game. Florida with 19 total missed tackles in this football game. That was really what was just an eyesore to see, especially, you know, that that one player, Jordan Travis, is in the red zone. It's third down. I believe it's third down and whatever. I can't even remember. But they clearly have a sack on Jordan Travis. Like, there's three, four guys on top of Jordan Travis. Not one of those guys could tackle him and put him down. And that was when I knew Florida State was going to win this football game. I said everything that could be going wrong for the team, especially in that category, is going wrong. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Florida, they do go down by two touchdowns there around the third, fourth quarter. But uh, come back and tie the game 38-38. to Florida State gets the football, uh, scores again, puts up 45 points. And Florida gets down there to the red zone and some uh, a questionable face mask call that should have been called, did not get called. Um, but either way, I, I the, the red zone, it, this team in the red zone has been horrible this whole year anyway. Uh, but they did go for two for two here in the red zone. Unfortunately, Florida runs out of time at the end. Uh, goes to fourth down, all that. Couldn't get it in there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. This was the, I mean, I, I predicted the game would, would be Florida State victory. I didn't predict it would be this close. Um, so I actually, for, for what Florida has faced and what Florida, you know, was missing out of this game with all the wide receivers being out and having to use Dejon Reynolds and uh, some other backup receivers. Uh, Ricky Persall had a huge game, 148 yards here with two touchdowns. Everybody knows those big two bombs that uh, Richardson did throw to uh, Ricky Persall there. And Trevor, ET at 129 yards rushing, averaging 7.6 yards per rush. Trevor Etienne, 
I, I love Montrell Johnson and I love all the other running backs. He's just got a different gear and a different thing to him. I mean, ETN, and, and I'm glad he's a freshman, so we'll have him for at least two more years. Uh, something to uh, look forward to in the future from him. And also Montrell Johnson as well, 85 yards, averaging five yards per rush. Uh, ETN just got that extra gear, man. Something about him. Something about that kid is just, uh, it's it, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I can't even say anything else about it. Richardson would end the game nine for 27 and only a 33% completion rating for 198 yards. And, and, hey, this is what you get out of Richardson. And I said this all year long. I even said this before the the game even started. I said, it's not like Richardson was passing for an enormous amount of yards every game anyway. So even with the wide receivers being out, like you're you're kind of forced to run the football anyway, which is your bread and butter. I mean, and you did so. And, and you tried to go away from it in the third quarter. I didn't get it, but it is what it is. Uh, Richardson, three total touchdowns there as well. Jordan Travis, 270 yards. And he, I'll say he had a, he had a decent game. He made plays when he needed to make plays on third down. Uh, he was only 13 for 30, only 43%, and uh, 270. But Trey Benson, as I said, somebody to look out for 111 rushing yards, averaging 5.6 yards per rush. And Jordan Travis, 83 rush yards as well. That guy using his feet. Um, is what it is, though. I mean, Florida, you know, they came in there as an underdog. They they played like an underdog, uh, but they, they kept it. They kept it within one score just about the whole game. Uh, they did go down by two at some at one point in the game, trying to throw the football in the third quarter, but came back, uh, went back to their bread and butter, as I said, getting a third down stop and uh, rushing in another touchdown to tie the game. Uh, but as I said, man, um, over, overall, just, just what I expected from this Florida Gator football team against Florida State, uh, nothing that uh, really jumped out to me that was surprising. I mean, there was one turnover per each that, uh, shared, as I said, no points off turnovers. Uh, Florida with two sacks to FSU's one sack, and Florida with seven tackles for loss. That was, that was something I like to see in this game. You know, with Brenton Cox being out and uh, some other guys having to step up, they, they did pretty well. I can't say that they were perfect, but they did pretty well stepping up with uh, Brenton Cox's absence there in Florida, man. As I said, I, I think if Florida, even if Florida had the wide receivers playing in this game, I think this score would have turned out just to be the same. I know George, uh, Justin Shorter has been a deep threat for uh, Anthony Richardson, but as I said, Anthony Richardson hasn't really passed that many yards in any of the games that he's played except for Tennessee and, and a few games, but he usually averages around you know, 150 to 200 yards passing a game and, and runs probably <laughs> just as much. He only had 41 rushing yards this game. Uh, but um, eh, as I said, man, I don't want to keep repeating myself here, man. It, it, as I said, it was a game that I expected and I took to Twitter and I asked everybody's thoughts on the game. And I'll read a few comments here. One from Michael Craig Maples. Refs influence the game way too much. Yeah, I mean, that, that does happen a lot, though, in a lot of games. The... um. Sometimes the refs never get it right, and uh, that face mask towards the end, uh, that, that should have been not been a face mask. I believe Richardson has somebody wide open in the end zone there, too, that he didn't see. Uh, but it should have been called. I, I agree that should have been called. Uh, we, we got the, the rough end of the stick there. Um, but there, there was a lot of plays in that game that uh, Florida State should have got calls on, too, and Florida, it just... It happens every game. Missed holds get. I mean, it, it, it seemingly happens every game that you watch in college football. If you just kind of like look, uh, there's always missed holds, and um, I, I, I hate being the person that blames the refs on a way that why we lost the game. But uh, you know, it, it's 
it kind of sucks when you don't get a call like that, especially at the end for a face match that was clear as day. <laughs> like you see it, it's it's clear as day. But I think Richardson even tugged on his mask though too. Um, if you kind of go back and look at the replay, somebody was uh, showing me the other day. So. Anyway, I mean, it is what it is. At the end of the day, the, the season's over. Regular season's done. Um, you know, Florida Florida loses Florida State. They lose to all their rivals. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow, uh, I guess. But uh, Florida, man, uh, they're making some moves. They're going to make some moves in the portal, especially this year. We'll get into that a little bit, too, towards the end of this podcast. But, uh, yeah, referees can influence game sometimes. Um, and sometimes calls just doesn't go your way and you just got to, I guess, belly back up and, and fight for the next down. Gators DB says foundation year team never quit. Players were in position to make plays, need to execute better. I agree there. Offensive play calling needs to get better, but also we need a quarterback that can run the RPO. Um, I, I would say the offensive play calling was pretty good most of the game. The third quarter is the only issue I had with play calling. I, I don't understand why you're trying to pass the ball like Joe Montana when you're running the ball down Florida State's throat and they cannot stop you. Um, that, I didn't get that. I think if you ran the ball in the third quarter, you probably either tie this game or you win this game. That's... That, that was my bottom line to this whole thing. Like, you can say, refs this, uh, he did that, this happened here, whatever. You can do all these key things. But when it comes down to the hard, cold hard facts, you should have just ran the football in the third quarter, and you probably win the football game. That, that's, that's my opinion on this certain game. Lucas, the Gator Man, says, Let me start by saying I understand 6-6 six and six is not the bar. The head coach set in 1990, but given our schedule this year and the fact that we saw progress in year one, I think Billy did a hell of a job. I'm also excited for next year. Go Gators, win the bowl game, and get seven wins. Sign me up well. <laughs> that bowl game is not looking so great for Florida right now with all the kids opting out, going to the NFL, and uh, graduating as well. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see who plays in the bowl game. Um, there was some, you know, inkling of uh, maybe the the backup, Jalen Kitna, will play. And, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, too, because that was some uh, – Crazy news to hit campus as well. But as far as anything goes with, you know, the way that this team has been this year, look, uh, we knew it was going to be a job for Billy Napier when he came in here. And he even promised in his opening presser, he says, you guys are going to be frustrated with me, but we got a plan and we're going to execute our plan. Um, Got to get your guys in, man. Uh, You got to get kids fully bought in. Like, if you go and you look at the transfer portal right now, there's a lot of kids that went in there. We'll get into that, too. There's a lot of things to discuss on this podcast. You know, if you're not fully bought in, I would rather you just hit the portal. I mean, I'm not saying that those kids weren't bought in or, or whatever. Everybody has an excuse to get into the portal. But I'd rather kids not bought in or not fully, completely bought into the program or not liking the way that the program's being ran. Go to the portal. I, I want kids that are bought in. I'm, I, it's not even kids that want to be Gators. I just want kids bought into what Billy Napier is doing. That is it. You get more kids bought in, you you get that energy going, they play a lot harder for you on that football field. So uh, as far as that goes, Lucas, yeah, upset. I mean, the, the year didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but uh, I'm looking forward to the future. I, this bowl game coming up, we're probably not going to win the bowl game. We, we could. We're probably not, though. Um, but i like to see what some of the young guys can do out there. Um, you're not going to have Richardson. I, I, I would assume Richardson's going to opt out of that bowl game and try his talents in the NFL. You're not going to have Osiris Torrance. Um, you're definitely not going to have Jalen Kitna. As I said, we'll get into that later on in this podcast. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's pretty slim pickings when you get down to the quarterback position there. I don't, I don't, I don't know how healthy Jack Miller is. Um, 
but you're going to see something different in that bowl game, that's for sure. All right, let's roll on to the next comment. CJ Black, the missed sacks when we had Travis dead in the rights to killed us. Yes, it did, and it was so irritating to watch, so I agree with you on that one. Richardson's inability to throw an easy open pass to the flats is bizarre. Not sure why Napier didn't run it down their throats out of halftime. Hope everyone comes back out of pride from losing to all rivals. 2023 should be fire. Yeah, uh, basically what I've said this whole podcast. I mean, should have ran the ball in third quarter. You probably win this game. So uh, I do agree with you there, Black. Uh, Gator Bates says, good back and forth game. Third quarter hurt us. Should have stayed with the run game until they took it away from us. Yep exactly what I've been saying this whole podcast. Wes says, I think we won't win many games with our running backs that won't run throwing nine for 27 with a completion percentage of 33% and bad defense that kill itself all night. Yeah. I didn't, I never even really got into the defense, man. This defense, it's no surprise. I mean, they had a good six quarters. We, we thought they had a good run. Uh, you're rolling to Vanderbilt. Um, defense played. Okay. Uh, couldn't stop the run around the, the perimeter. Going to Florida State, you knew how good Travis was coming in there. You knew Florida State was going to score points. You just had to hold them off a few drives and see if you could run the ball down their throat, which we did, which made the game closer. You just didn't come out with a victory. Uh, Not a good game plan coming out of the third quarter, and that's what you get. That's what you get with a quarterback that um, I can't say that he can't throw. I mean, he's got the throwing ability. He's just not accurate at a lot of times, and he doesn't see the open guy a lot. And when you get a quarterback like that, that – is a complete freak of an athlete that can't, you know, read a can't read an offensive play call sometimes and, and throws it inaccurately. That's what you get. But at the same time, you know, Richardson, um, talented kid, just run the football, man. I mean, if they can't stop it, I mean, if it's, I always, my dad always used to say, if something's not broken, do not try to fix it. <laughs> That's what Florida tried to do coming out of halftime. So, uh, I agree with you there, Wes. Uh, I'll read this one comment. Let me scroll down a little bit because there's a lot of them. Uh, we'll go to Greg. Terrible officiating. The team fought hard. Questionable play calling on both sides of the football. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I wouldn't. I think there's terrible officiating in a lot of games. <laughs> That's just my opinion. But uh, there were some there were some calls that Florida State should have got, and there were some calls that Florida should have got. So I, I'll give them both credit there. Uh, but. The team didn't give up. I mean, and I'll say this. This is uh, one of the things that I've noticed this year. Uh, the team doesn't – we we have a team that doesn't give up. I mean, Florida, when they played Georgia, they could have just lied down and let Georgia score like 60 on them. No, they didn't. They fought back. They got some turnovers. They came with an eight. Of course, they lost the game by 22, but they didn't give up. You know, this team last year would have gave up and just let the team run it all over. I mean, look at the South Carolina game. Look at the, the Missouri game. I mean, this team just – just lay down, lay down after a while, and now you've got a team that fights in every game. I mean, literally, you minus this Georgia game, we've lost every game like this year by either 10 points or less, by one possession or less each game. Um, look at it. I mean, we could easily we could easily be seven, eight, nine wins, 10 wins. We could also be four, four three wins too. So when you look at close games like that, put a – I, I think what I what I like out of this year and what's came out of this year as this football team is they fought. Even though the defense has been really bad, they've, they've still fought to keep us in games. And you had a little bit of a spark between Texas A&M and South Carolina saying, oh, maybe they're starting to put it together. And they didn't. But still, they fought. They didn't give up. They could have laid down against South Carolina. They could have laid down against A&M. They didn't do that. So got to give the coaching staff some credit, keeping the players' mindset still in the game trying to fight to, to at least win in every game that they were in. I mean, 
shoot, uh, Florida went down by two scores against Florida State. That could have been it. Uh, they fought back. They came back and tied the game. So uh, you got to give credit. You got to give credit to the team, the coaches, uh, for for fighting. And, uh, you know, it is what it is, man. You, you wind up 6-6. Six and six. You go to a really terrible bowl game. I don't even know who we're playing. There's there's thoughts out there that we're going to play UCLA. There's thoughts out there that we're going to play Oregon State. We we don't know. We're just going to have to go out there and see what happens. But um, overall, six and six, not the year that most Florida Gator fans wanted. Uh, but nobody ever wants to go six and six. Come on, man. I mean, we could be Miami and, and we could be getting the doors blown off of us by really weak opponents every week. <laughs> we're not doing that. So uh, yeah, Mario Cristobal has got a huge problem down there. Uh, in Miami, but recruiting pretty well here down the stretch, and recruiting is going to get hot down the stretch with early signing day, and next week I'll have on a guest to uh, go over that, and DJ Lagway's commitment coming up here, five-star quarterback in the 2024 cycle. He'll be announcing his commitment on December the 7th. Uh, choices are Florida, USC, Texas, Clemson, or Texas A&M and Clemson. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what school he picks coming down the stretch, and I caught up with Will Miles Earlier on in the week, and he shares his opinions on how this year went and where Florida needs to go moving forward. We will have that interview on the second part of Getting Swamped coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White and Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs with state of the art paint and epoxy. You can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Woodcarving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White and Sons Woodcarving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. Lots of people I wonder, what's Gator Collective? It's a team of talented athletes and passionate fans. It's the playbook for our NIL success to earn compensation for our name, image, and likeness. It's exclusive access to unforgettable moments. This includes autographs, interviews, appearances, and more. It's what connects Gator athletes like me. And me. And me. With you. So what are you waiting for? You are a part of our team when you join the Gator Collective. You do a great job supporting your Gators. This is your chance to show your support off the field. Join Gator Collective today and help Gator Nation be the best place for NIL opportunities. Go to GatorCollective.com today and support the Gators like never before. College football season is almost over, folks, and a slate of bowl games on the horizon and a massive shakeup in the college football playoff as well. And if you don't want to shake up in your wallet when you play fantasy this year, your boy David Soderquist could alleviate some of the emptiness in your pockets and put some free cash in your wallet when you sign up for prize picks today with promo code SWAMPED. Join prize picks with promo code SWAMPED to receive a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100. Signing up for prize picks is simple, easy, and it takes only 60 seconds or less. You put in your info, you use promo code SWAMPED when you sign up, and you're in the game with some extra loot from your boy, David Soderquist. Prize picks offers a variety of sports. You can even mix up your lineups with your favorite baseball player, along with football quarterback, or even soccer goalie, or someone's defense, all in the same lineup. It's just that easy, and it's fun at the same time, folks. Join prize picks today with promo code SWAMPED and get in the game. PrizePicks.com. Daily Fantasy Simplified. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. 
All right, folks, joining me once again here on Getting Swamped from Reading Reaction and Stand Up and Holler, Will Miles. And Will, Tallahassee didn't go the way that we wanted it to. <laughs> Florida uh, keeps it in within close range. Uh, they do win against the spread here. But, uh, man, uh, just a lot of things in that game, especially defensively, that really was uh, not a pretty much of an eyesore to see. Now, Jordan Travis, he was an up-and-coming quarterback for Florida State. He didn't have a lot of good years, but then this past year had a really good year. Uh, it goes into that Florida game and, and just lights Florida <laughs> up. Uh, uh, what do you think, first of all, just about that Florida State game, how the defense offense played, and uh, I don't know, just your general thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it was sort of a microcosm of the season. I mean, Anthony Richardson played lights out in the first half, and then he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in the second half. Yeah. And, you know, they went away from the running game in the second half, even though the running game had been effective. At the same time, they scored 38 points. So you look at that and say, look, if you if you score 38 points, you ought to win the game. Yep. And they don't because the defense was exactly who the defense has been all year, whether it was whether it was Gary Bohannon or whether it was Hendon Hooker or whether it was or whether it was, you know, in, in this case, Jordan Travis, they've made a bunch of quarterbacks who over the course of the year have been, you know, have been okay, but not great. They've made those guys look like world beaters, and they did it again with Travis. And Travis has been, I think, other than Hooker, was the best quarterback that they were going to play all year long. And he actually didn't play great, but what he did was on third down, he made Florida pay every time Florida made a mistake. And Florida State was 9 of 16 on third downs. The huge third down throw to Wilson down the sideline that uh, that set up the game-winning touchdown. You had a couple, you had a, a pass interference to Wilson on a third and long, um, you know, where Florida was in man-to-man. So, I, I mean, the, the, the thing I was disappointed in is I, I felt like the defense had an opportunity if they had played a little bit more zone to at least slow down Florida State. Yep. And there was one time where they played zone, and that was the the time that uh, Tradeen almost got the pick six. Other than that, they basically played exclusively man-to-man and blitzed on third down. And, you know, you live by the blitz, you die by the blitz, and they died by the blitz quite a bit. And, you know, look, I mean, you can't give up 45 points, and this now makes on the four against the four rivals, so Tennessee, Georgia, Florida State, and, uh, and LSU, they gave up an average of 42 and a half points. If you'd have told me that coming into the year, I would have been like, all right, we're on four in those games. What, how are we going to do the rest of the season? <laughs> so, um, so this was just sort of a continuation of what we've seen all year long. And that's the disappointing part is you would hope that by game 12, you're starting to get a little bit more, you're starting to see some more progress. We didn't see that here. And so, you know, we walk out of it going, oh, it's a seven point loss to a pretty good Florida State team, but that could have been a win. And could have been a convincing win if they would have been able to sort of put four quarters together. But that's been the story all year long is they've been able to put together two quarters. They've been able to even put together six quarters when you talked about the defense uh, across two games. But they really haven't been able to put a complete offensive and defensive four quarters together. And, you know, you don't want a lot of games that way. That's right. You uh, live or died by the blitz that game. You died trying to blitz Jordan Travis because you missed like five tackles trying to do it. So, (laughs) you know, you go look at that uh, goal line, that little goal line play there on third down. That one was one that I just shook my head at. It was it was disgusting. Look at at the same time. Well, and and the thing that was disappointing with that is that on second down, they did the same thing. So second down both times that he, he so he had two third down conversions in the red zone. Yeah. On running plays. The first time they did it, the Travis was running a read option or an RPO, and he pulled the ball and threw it over the middle. And Florida got one of the defensive linemen got a hand on. I think it might have been a linebacker yep. got a hand on the throw. And if he didn't, the touchdown throw was wide open. 
And then, and because they were blitzing. And then the next time on second down, they came in, they had him dead to rights again in the backfield and he scrambled out, but he only gained like a yard or two. Um, and so that play was not working. That that defensive play call was not working against Travis pretty much all night. Now you can say, oh, well, they stopped him there on second down. It's like, yeah, but you could see the cracks in the defense even in the plays that they weren't necessarily getting the the chunk yards. And then the next play, they were able to do it and get the conversion. And honestly, I think that was sort of the difference between the two teams is Jordan Travis was able to extend plays and extend drives and then allow Florida's defense to sort of implode. And Anthony Richardson made all sorts of big plays all over the place, especially in the first half. But then when it came time, hey, here's a third down. You need to get the play on third down. We just couldn't get it, right? We get eight yards yep. instead of ten. They got stopped on fourth down on the opening drive of the game and and all those sort of things. It just it's interesting. The thing that I've sort of noticed from the offense all year long is, you know, there were a bunch of times where Travis threw back shoulder throws to Wilson. I, can you remember a back shoulder throw all year long? No. I can't remember one. And so I'm sitting here going. We overthrow our guys going down the sideline when they're in one-on-one coverage quite a bit, but we haven't – or it's perfect, right? I mean, you hit them in perfect in stride. It's a huge play. Or but you we overthrow don't Hail Marys. Back. Well, there you go too. But we don't we don't hit that back shoulder throw. And when you get man-to-man, the back shoulder throw is an awesome throw to go after. And we don't do that. And I'm not sure why we don't, but that's that's one of the other aspects where I just look at the difference between the two quarterbacks. And, and that's where it is, is on third down – when you need like that go-to thing, Travis clearly has it, and and Richardson at least right now does not. Well, let's let's hope Travis doesn't come back, man. Uh, I, I don't want that for the next year. But uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever. I, I, honestly, I think so. Florida State got pretty lucky to beat LSU. Um, I think there are a couple other games in there where you look at and go, yeah, like they that one could have gone either way. Um, they were years away from beating Clemson and Clemson isn't really that good. Uh, so, you know, I, I think this is a good Florida state team. It's not a great one. I think even when Jordan Travis comes back, it's going to be a good Florida state team, not a great one. And Florida should be better next year. And so even if Travis comes back, the expectation with the game in the swamp, with Florida improving, with Napier having another year under his belt, should be for Florida to be able to beat them. Now, maybe it'll still be close. Maybe it'll be something where a couple of turnovers turn at Florida State's way. But I think overall, Florida should have the better team next year. I, I've been saying all week long before the game and after the game, I would rather be in Florida's situation right now than I would be in Florida State's if I were building a program even though Florida State got the win here. And, and I think that's still true. I think, yeah. you know, look, Florida State had to do everything they could to beat a Florida team that's incredibly inconsistent and wounded. And as this team gets better, regardless of what you think about Napier as an on-field coach and the way he's managing the game and, and even the recruiting aspect of it and things like that, he's wiping the floor with Norvell and recruiting. And, you know, Florida is going to have a more talented team than Florida State pretty much from here on out. And it's going to be Napier's players, and it's going to be guys that have bought into his system. And I think what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is a pretty decent exodus of guys who maybe have an opportunity to play elsewhere and may not have been fully bought in the last couple of games of the year. And, um, you know, along with that is going to be guys who come in and replace them and are better fits for the system. I think Florida's going to get a lot better next year. I think the capacity for Florida State to get better is limited even with Travis coming back. So I'm actually pretty hopeful that Florida's going to be able to to take over that rivalry pretty quickly. 
Yeah, and if you look at it, all of Napier's guys are the biggest playmakers of this year on this football team. I mean, you go and look at the you know, Arizona State transfer, Persall, then you have the Louisiana Lafayette guys that came over. I mean, all these guys are the ones making plays on this team, <laughs> except for the you know Justin Shorter. He's been injured. You know, he's made some explosives down the down the stretch, but you haven't really seen any big time playmakers on this team except for Billy Napier's guys that he brought over. I mean, you go to ETN, you go to Montreal Johnson, Osiris Torrance, a guy that hasn't given up a sack all year, uh, actually his whole career. And uh, these are guys making plays. So, you know, you go, you look at it, you look at recruiting and all of that, and you say, okay, well, let's see. Let, let's wait. Let's give Billy Napier his time. And maybe yeah, maybe it will be a lot better next year. And not this year, though. <laughs> the Gators finished 6-6, six and six, not the exact 8-4 and four I predicted here, uh, or the loss to Vanderbilt, by the way. <laughs> but the... Uh, as you said, the offense, they've been okay, not great, okay, averaging 29.9 points per game. If you go to teamrankings.com, they don't count, F, you know, FCS opponents or anything that, but it puts, you know, if you count the FCS opponent, it puts them at over 30 points per game. Defense, we thought would be cured without Todd Grantham and Gainesville. It actually got worse, <laughs> averaging around the same, giving them out of points per game at 29.8 points per game, but if you go to any certain yardage, statistical categories, any part of the defense, they're ranked in the hundreds nationally. So uh, first off, in general, man, and I know you gave me some of your thoughts already. Uh, what are your thoughts about this team from the beginning of the season? What did you expect? And what are your thoughts now that the season's over? Well, so I predicted them to go nine and three. So I predicted them to be second in the East. So clearly I'm disappointed with where they yeah. turned out. But I think there are reasons for all of that, right? I expected Anthony Richardson to be a lot better than he was over the course of the year. I thought Anthony Richardson played okay. I don't think he was fantastic. I think he was about average. And I think he was below average throwing the ball, but his running basically takes his his overall value to the team to average. I think the offense was incredibly explosive, but was incredibly was incredibly uh, inconsistent. And so you had games like Kentucky where they put up, you know, 16 points and then you have games like Florida State where they put up 38. And the problem is is that when you give up 26 points to Kentucky, you needed the 38 and you would have been able to get, you know, it would have been embarrassing yeah. but the 16 against Florida State, you end up 1 and 1 instead of 0 oh and 2 if you managed to if you managed to flip that. And so the inconsistency on the offensive side um, really did rear its ugly head a bunch. I think from a defensive perspective, we saw the the effects of that 2019 recruiting class. That, you know, when you think about the the classes that deliver, they're, you know, three and four years away. So the 2020 class and the 2019 class were the ones that needed to deliver this year. I thought Rashad Torrance took a step back. I thought Travez Johnson took a step back. I thought Jason Marshall took a step back. And some of that is, is that you've got guys who came in for other systems and are now having to learn a new system. I think some of it is, is that when you have a defensive line that doesn't get a whole lot of pressure, well, that puts a lot of pressure on the back end. And losing guys like Zachary Carter and Tyron Hopper and, and Diabate and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, those guys had limitations, but those guys also put more pressure on the quarterback. And you look at – I'd have to actually go and look at the stats, but I bet you Florida wound up with like 14 or 15 less sacks than they had last year. And so the quarterback wasn't getting pressured as much. If the quarterback's not getting pressured as much, then the defensive backs are, are left wide open or left all the holes in the zones and all the mistakes that everybody makes get caught. And so that's what happened is Florida's defense got caught on the back end because the front end wasn't very good. The linebackers struggled and covered specifically um, even when Ventrell Miller was in there, but obviously when Miller was out against Kentucky and then when he was out against Florida State, that made a difference as well. 
So, you know, I just sort of look at it and I go, there's a lot of work to be done that, uh, you know, that then, and Florida knows it and Napier knows it. Cause you look at this recruiting class and about half of the recruiting class is defensive linemen. Yeah. Especially, especially when you look at like the top tier of the guys they brought in, like a bunch of the guys are defensive linemen and that should be the way it is. Cause we have not had a good high school recruit on the defensive line since Slayton. And even he, I think was sort of, eh, like he was okay, but he wasn't great. Like who was the last guy who got drafted from the defensive line? Who was an actual recruit at Florida? Was it, was it Ivy? Yeah. I was thinking Ivy or Taven Bryan, maybe probably I would think yeah. so. So, I mean, you know, you're looking at that going, I mean, it's been a while since so, no Grenard Grenard's probably the guy on the defensive line, but he was a transfer, right? But yeah. Grenard's transfer the portal, guy. Yeah. But still, I mean, he he was a difference maker, right? You had Jonathan Grenard, you had Jabari Zaniga, Ja'Kai Polite. Those guys were difference makers and were able to sort of paper over some of the holes Florida had on the defensive side of the ball. There was nobody like that this year on the defensive line. We expected it to be Brenton Cox. He gets dismissed before the season ends. And so, yeah, sort of my overall my overall impression is, is that I don't know anything about Napier that I I haven't learned anything about Napier yet. I think what we've learned is is that he can't turn water into wine like like Dan Mullen was able to do. Like he didn't, you know, Mullen was able to take Felipe, Felipe Franks completely turn him around, sort of paper over that team to a ten and three finish and a big win over Michigan in his first year. But the problem is is that Mullen wasn't a program builder; he was a schemer. He was an X and O's guy. Yeah. And so you you bring in Napier and say we need a program program builder, and so we got to give him time to build the program. The, the goal wasn't to go 10 and three next year. The goal is to win a national championship in the next five. And in order to do that, you're going to have to build up the program. And if that takes going six and six, then I'm fine with that. Um, if six and six turns into eight and four, turns into nine and three, then nine and three, and we're sitting in Bo Pelini land for, you know, the, the next four <laughs> or five years. Well, then that's, that's bad, right? We don't want to be in Bo Pelini land. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I think Nebraska fans right now would take Bo Pelini land. So it all depends on perspective, man. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where I was going to actually head next. You know, we're talking about these recruits Billy Napier's bringing in, and uh, you know, the playmakers and a good and maybe a good evaluator Billy Napier is. We, we'll see with this recruiting class coming in. But I mean, the, the playmakers he's got right now are all on the offensive side of the ball, pretty much, and these are all guys that he brought in. So. Uh, now you look at some of the in-game stuff. You know, there's been some warts when it comes to the coaching staff here, from the use of timeouts to play calling sometimes, time management, to also we just talked about the defense looking completely anemic, a <laughs> Patrick Tony problem there. Uh, what's your early confidence level right now with this coaching staff heading into year two? I mean, I, I don't know how you can say you're more confident about the defensive coaching staff now than you did before the before the start of the year. I mean, they took a Todd Grantham defense and made it worse. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think my problem with Grantham, it's interesting. So Grantham gets a lot of ire, and deservedly so, especially for that 2020 season. But my issue with Grantham was never that he was terrible. It was that he was average and that an average defense at Florida is not acceptable considering the – like he didn't make a difference at any of his previous stops in recruiting. There wasn't an uptick there, and there was an uptick in performance based on if you looked at like the three years before he got there, the, the years he was there and after he left, basically the defenses were the same. So you weren't seeing him make an impact on the defense. Right. And that was that was always my problem with with Grantham. OK, well, so, you know, now you bring in Tony and he's made an impact on the defense it's gone the other way. And so <laughs> my 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 confidence level in, in the defense, quite honestly, just isn't 
it isn't there right now and they're going to have to prove it. And I think, I think it's not, it's not like the end of the world. Like, Oh my God, like Patrick Tony, isn't the right guy. But I mean, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, if you go to a movie in the first 45 minutes of the movie, you're just terrible. Let's say you had to leave in the middle of the movie. You wouldn't leave and go, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm signing up for more of that. <laughs> it's like, no, thanks. <laughs> like, you know, you already make up your mind. And that's the problem that he has is that, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I think you can't have another year like this next year, you know, and, and it won't be all your players and you haven't had an opportunity to sort of transition it, but you needed to be able to paper over, paper over some holes this year and you weren't able to do it. So what that says to me is that Florida's going to need some horses on the defensive side of the ball that it's not going to be enough to sit there and go, well, we've just got, you know, just got barely enough talent to be able to to beat Kentucky and and Vanderbilt and those sorts of teams. You're going to have to have significantly more talent to stop those guys because, um, you know, they weren't scheming their way into better results than the talent on the field. They were scheming themselves to worse results than the talent on the field, and that's concerning. Um, as far as yep. Napier is concerned, I think – um, the timeout usage, the sort of middle eight, I think Harrison Tenzer mentioned, mentioned that in terms of Florida getting dr- just drilled coming out of halftime yeah. um, and, and the formats going into halftime. Certainly clock management needs to need some work, but I also think he was a little bit hamstrung in terms of wanting to get some points at the end of the half and wanting to be aggressive, but then having wondering whether he was going to get good or bad Anthony Richardson on the offensive side of the ball and wondering whether if he turned the ball over with, say, you know, 45 seconds left, whether they were going to give up a touchdown over that that remaining 45 seconds. And so I think as the defense improves, we're going to see a more consistent approach from Napier. Um, you know, and, and I think, I think there were some really good moments too. Like the, the timeout usage and the, and the middle four and all that sort of stuff, I think sticks in people's minds. But one of the things I really thought was great was when he went for two points down by 17, they scored the touchdown. He goes for two points against Tennessee. That's the right move there from an analytics perspective, because you, he was going to go for the win at some point going for two. And you need to know whether you're going to get that two or not. And everybody's like, Oh, well, if he'd kicked, then he would have had the field goal at the end. And that's true. But what he wanted to do, I think was get to a point where that field goal was going to give him the win, not, not the tie. And it just so happened that they missed both two point conversions. And normally that's not going to happen. And in fact, <laughs> they should have had one of the two point conversions of that one anyway. So I think there were some good decisions that were made over the course of the year. I think there were some tentative decisions because the defense was bad. And quite honestly, you know, he went for it against, against Tennessee, right? I mean, he called timeout with what, like a minute left. Brenton Cox comes right up the middle, has Hendon Hooker dead to rights, can't get him on third down. They they convert the first down three plays later they're like going in for a touchdown I know that, and and that. you look at it you just go that one absolutely killed him in that game oh. but he he was being aggressive he was trying to to turn to tilt the tables in that game and and then got burned for it now the question that I have is did he get bunny ears at that or rabbit ears at that point right did he hear the criticism where he went for two points and where he was ultra aggressive on fourth down and that sort of stuff and then dial it back because. He shouldn't. He's, you know, the thing that I hope that Napier does is have a process, follow the process. And whether it succeeds or doesn't succeed, he says, look, that had a 62% chance of succeeding and turning in my direction. Sometimes you're going to hit 38%. And this year he just had the players to hit 38%. So I, I'm I'm not I'm not like averse to Napier's like on-field man- coaching management, but I don't think he's a magician. I think in many ways Dan Mullen was a magician. When you looked at the 10 and 3 in the 11 two seasons. 
in 18 and 19, I think those were a mirage based on the talent that he had on the team. And Kyle Trask papered over a lot of holes. And then in 2020, it even got so bad that Trask couldn't paper over all the holes, particularly late in the year. And then 2021, everything falls apart. So again, I go back to the question of, am I okay with six and six now? If it means 12 and one, three or four years from now, absolutely. And so it's a question of what is he building and does that process bring that along? And, and look, the recruiting class right now still has some warts, but from the standpoint of the previous regimes, it's head and shoulders above those. And so I think you're going to get more quality players from this recruiting class than you got from any of Mullen's classes and any of McElwain's classes. And so Florida's heading in the right direction that way. Um, but obviously the 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 big boys they got to compete with are are already up in that direction. <laughs> so you're not closing the gap. You're 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 Into. you're. Well, I don't even know if you're inching. I mean, you're, you're, you're baby steps. What is it? Nah. So like if you're on the highway, right. And you're just basically going like five miles an hour, everybody's racing past you. <laughs> and if you, and if you speed up to 65 miles an hour, that's fine. There's still people who are going to be going past you and going over the speed limit. Yeah. There right? you go. And that, that's kind of, that's kind of the analogy, right. Is that Florida is now going the speed limit. Like they're no longer the grandma on the right hand lane going four miles an hour where everybody's honking and racing past them. But the the cars that were in front of them going ninety are still in, are still going further out in front of them, and so you know, look, he's gonna have to catch up. He's gonna have to put that pedal down and start going ninety miles an hour, not just to, I mean, if nothing else, to prevent the the spread. Now, the good thing is in college football, every four years you get turnover, so mm-hmm. you you don't have to go ninety five to catch up to the guy going ninety. You just got to go 90 and over four years, you'll eventually catch up because they have to shed the guys on the back end that, that were better than yours to start with. So, um, you know, it shouldn't take that long, assuming that, you know, the pedals in the metal and, and that the recruiting picks up for Florida to catch up and catch up pretty significantly. I like your analogies, man. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty terrible. <laughs> but since we're on the subject of recruiting, um, early signing days coming up. Uh, right now, we have the number, actually, number nine class because Miami just jumped us. They flipped a the guy from Michigan. So now they're at number nine. We're slight. I mean, we're slightly below Miami, like maybe by a point four decibel or something like that. But anyway, uh, we're at a ninety two point oh nine average player ranking. It's actually better than Dan Mullen's average player rankings and Jim McElwain's. But still, as you said, quite not there yet. No five stars, no top 50 recruits in this class. My opinion to you, is there a cause for concern in this recruiting cycle right now heading into early signing day? And where does Florida's class have to be at for you to consider it to be a successful 2023 and heading on into that season? So it's a pretty loaded question. I think the the short answer is top five is where you want to be to say this is a this is a complete success. I think jumping LSU makes it more of a success because if you look at the history in the SEC, there is a distinct correlation between place in conference and winning percentage. And so Florida has been fifth or sixth in the conference pretty much over the last five or six years. And it turns out that Florida will have a couple of good years and then they'll have a couple of bad years and their winning percentage ends up in that 65 to 70% range. Whereas Alabama's up at 95 and Georgia's up at 86. And, you know, it goes pretty linearly in terms of that sort of stuff. So right now you got Alabama first, you got Georgia second. Florida's not going to catch either one of those teams. You got LSU though, who's fifth and they have zero five stars, 17, four stars, six, three stars. They're at 92.05. Like you'd said, Florida 92.01, at least on 24-7. They got zero five-stars, 18 four-stars, and four three-stars. So those are almost identical classes. LSU has one more commit, which is why they're in front of the Gators right now. A little bit more top-end talent, but not 
so much top end talent that you look at them and go, Hey, these are really different. So that would be the thing to me is, can you jump LSU and can you sort of get up into the second tier? Cause right now on average player rating, you got Alabama at 93.96, Georgia at 93.51, you got Ohio state at 93.45. And then you've got a host of teams like Notre Dame, Texas, LSU, and Florida. They're in that 92 to 93 range. And the question is, can you get to the high end of that range and get into that top five? I think it's a stretch. I think they're going to have, a, they're going to have to bring in a couple of five-star guys to get above LSU and, and jump into that space. But I mean, look, all you got to do is look at LSU last year. LSU was battling Florida for Harold Perkins. They end up getting Harold Perkins, and Harold Perkins single-handedly won them that Arkansas game. Yeah. And the reason LSU is playing in the SEC championship game is because of Harold Perkins. Yeah. And it turns out those five-star top ten guys make a huge difference year one. And so I, I think that's sort of where um, – I think the concern is obviously the top, top, top tier guys that are not in the class. At the same time, it's a question of what are you building? And if you look at the infrastructure that Florida has, clearly, especially on the defensive side of the ball, there's there's some there's some talent lacking there and some uh, and some consistency lacking there. And now they got all sorts of guys in the defensive line coming in, and you got four guys competing for one spot. If one of them hits, like this is the thing about recruiting, is every every recruit is just a lottery ticket. And so if you sign four defensive linemen between say 100 and 180, and you know, one of the four hits and becomes like a high, high, you know, first or second round NFL draft pick, well, that was probably a successful set of four guys that you signed. And you just do that every year, and all of a sudden you've got a really, really good defensive line. And so I, I just don't know. I, I there's clearly Florida has a really strong middle class in this one, but you know Dave Waters asked me the other day about has anybody had a class like this? And I went through and searched, and you know there was an Oregon class maybe four or five years ago that's pretty close to it. But this is an experiment. Most of the teams that recruit and win in the top tier have five star talent, and right now Florida and LSU both shut out for the five star. So it's gonna be interesting to see which one of those teams ends up being the uh, the alpha in that in that scenario. Don't tell that to Bill Sykes. Wow, Bill's Bill's constantly texting me, so he definitely tells me I'm wrong. But that's all right. I, I talked to him tonight. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I think he's so historically national championships come from five star recruits. Yep, and and that's just the way it is. And you can argue with the rankings being biased and all sorts of other things, but the reality is is that national championships come from five star recruits. Now, Bill also wrote a really good article for Read Reaction a couple years ago where he was look, talking about clustering. And essentially that the teams that didn't recruit at the level of Alabama and Georgia, the way they won their SEC championships is that they got all SEC play from, I think it was like seven or eight guys um, all at once. And some of those programs fell apart. So you think about Auburn under Chiswick, think about Auburn under Malzahn, think about LSU under uh, under Orgeron. Like those teams were able to win national, certainly SEC championships, and two of them won national championships because they were able to cluster a bunch of all SEC players all at once. And so if you think of it like that and say the goal is to put up a flag and we don't care what we do in the couple of years in between, so long as we get to, so long as we get to fly the flag, then there is a case to be made that you don't necessarily want, especially if you're budgeting, right? If you're budgeting for an IL, there's a case to be made. And I don't know that I agree with it, but I think there's a case to be made that you would rather cluster your five stars in one class or a set of two classes, than spread them out over four or five classes. Because if you spread them out over four and five classes, the odds that they're all going to cluster and become all SEC players at the exact same time are lower than if you bring in, say, four, four, star, four, four or five stars next year and four or five stars the year after. Well, now all of a sudden you've sort of built the base with this class. It's very middle, you know, middle class heavy. 
And then you bring in the elite guys over the next couple of years and all those guys cluster all at the exact same time. And you're able to put together a team that flies the flag. And again, if Florida wins a national championship every four or five years, are we happy with that? If they're, you know, nine and nine and three, the other years, that's a question nope. for, for fans and, and what that looks like, right? Do we want to build Georgia and Alabama? Do we want to build a team that can pop up like LSU in 2019 every once in a while? And, and, you know, or is that what's possible? Right. I mean, when it turned, when you look at Georgia and Alabama, have they built a machine at this point to where we got to wait for, for Saban to retire to really be able to, to actually compete with him? Has he just built a machine that, that you can't catch? And I think smart has sort of put that to rest that you can catch that machine, but you know, now you got to catch the smart machine and see what's going on there. So hopefully Kirby goes to the NFL, Saban retires. And, uh, at that point, then Napier will just have to beat out uh, Hugh freeze there at Auburn for all the elite recruits. And we'll be good to go. And Miami. Uh, they're flashing the pan, man. <laughs> Besides, no one's going to, I mean, they may be really, really good, but nobody's going to be there to watch it. So, yeah. About the five fans that show up to Hard Rock. <laughs> it's the old, if the tree falls in the woods and nobody's there, does it make a sound? Same thing. Yeah. If my if Miami wins a bunch of games, but there aren't any fans there. Do you see that? They, they had a bus to take kids, take kids from the university to the game this weekend. And they didn't go because there just weren't any fans who showed up. I'm like, ooh, that's oh, that, rough. That, that clip's getting played on this podcast. So, Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> I made sure to bookmark that one. <laughs> All right. One last one, man. Who's quarterback next year? Uh, <laughs> I put you on the spot on that one. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think, um, I think if Richardson stays, he's a quarterback. I think that's probably unlikely based on everything that I'm hearing is, is that um, he's probably not going to be back at the program next year. We'll see. There've been a couple of articles that have come out and talked about that specifically. Um, if Richardson's not there, I think you're going to hit the transfer portal pretty heavy because you know, it, it was not lost on me that Jalen Kitna didn't throw the ball against Florida state when they had him in there. And there was probably an opportunity to run some play action there and, and, find Florida State creeping up in those situations. And instead, when he came in, they were just sort of like baby this thing until Anthony Richardson can get back in the game. And uh, so clearly they think Richardson, I think, is superior to him, superior to Jack Miller. Jack Miller's profile didn't really impress me coming out of high school and, and what he put up at Ohio State. I mean, again, a good backup, but I don't think he's going to be a starter. He's going to take you where you want to go. And then you got the transfer portal. I mean, you know, Hudson Card at, at Texas just announced that he's he's leaving the transfer portal. There's been a lot of noise about uh, Hartman from, from Wake Forest. And, you know, you look around. I just don't know who's going to leave. The portal is so is going to be so weird this year and i don't know what to expect i think to expect it to be cheap is the place where where it's going to be a little bit of fool's gold in some of those cases you better hit in the portal this year because from an nil perspective you know that there's going to be deals because these guys are all guys who went into college without nil deals so you can expect you know i don't know who it'll be but there's going to probably be a whole heap of players who leave who you're like wow i figured that guy would have been happy at that program or something like that i'm like no somebody came in and offered him a better deal to go transfer someplace else. And I, again, I don't know whether Florida, that's going to be Florida's strategy. It may be that Florida just says, again, the goal is to cluster these guys all at one time. Yeah. And if we bring in a guy to sort of paper over the holes, does that help us in the long run? Now, you know, the, the, the problem with that is you still need to be showing something on the field. You can't be going out and crystal balling it like every, every year and just having things fall apart and losing by 40 points to your rivals. Um, and, and and expect that to sustain over the long over the long haul because you know irrespective of what the monetary incentives are i mean we're already seeing this a little bit with texas a&m so they have the monster class two years ago 
and um and a bunch of those guys, I think, are probably going to leave. There's been there were guys who were suspended from that class, um, and that doesn't mean. I mean, I still think they're going to get a lot out of that class when it's all said and done. But you know, you, they had they had uh, one of the recruits was retweeting that uh, you know he left. Somebody commented after he put up his transfer portal announcement that he got his bag and then went to where he actually wanted to go, and the player retweeted it. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's uh, that's interesting there. So. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the portal, and I think that's probably the answer. Is if, if it's not Richardson, it's going to be somebody from the portal. Um, but you know, I, <laughs> Richardson is an interesting case. I think we all look at him and say he's not ready for the NFL. But there's actually a risk in staying at Florida and not getting any better if he's going to be picked based on his tools, right? If 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 the NFL is going to like, if somebody in the NFL is going to pick him because he's talented, they're going to pick him this year or they're going to pick him next year. And I don't know that his draft position changes that much if he doesn't improve that much. I think it probably goes down. So it's really it's a really interesting sort of test case where you just look at it and go, his physical skills are so through the roof that you go, can we teach this guy the things he needs to? And can we get him in the second round or the third round and have a quarterback who's making you know, 700 grand or something like that instead of the first round quarterback who's making 12 at 12 million. And that's a huge advantage. Like a quarterback on his first contract who turns out to be elite is a huge advantage. So if I'm a team, say like Atlanta, that is Marcus Mariota at quarterback, is it worth taking a flyer on Anthony Richardson in the second round? And if it turns out that he's bad, then you just end up like with the first pick in the draft the next year and you go get the you go get the elite stud who's coming out of college. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that sort of thing. So I I think he's gonna I think he's gonna declare. I think he's gonna wow scouts the combine. I think he's gonna get drafted a lot higher than people think. And good for him. I, I want yep. him to I want him to maximize his revenue while he can because you know we saw how how um you know how much he limped this year, how much he was using the running game. They're not going to use him that much like that way in the NFL, I don't think. And so, you know, hey, if he can get that money and, and it's more than he can get at Florida, then good for him and, and best wishes. Right. And if he goes to the Falcons and it doesn't work, he can go join Felipe Franks at tight end. <laughs> He'd be a much better tight end. <laughs> uh, probably better than Marcus Mariota. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know like Mariota hasn't won in a couple of games but again you look at the Colts with Matt Ryan you look at uh, the Seahawks with Geno Smith though Geno's been been pretty good this year you look, you look at the Broncos with Russell Wilson I mean geez I saw something the other day where if they had averaged something like if they had scored 18 points in every game so far they'd be like nine and three and it's like holy moly like and what are they like three and nine yeah <laughs> because they can't score any points and you just look at it and go you know, if I had a guy with tools, could I get him to be an, an elite quarterback, you know, two, three, four years down the line? And can I use the raw skills to get points? Because that was the thing this year is Florida, from an offensive perspective, wasn't very consistent. But, man, they were so explosive. And to believe that Richardson wasn't a big part of why they were running lanes open for guys like Etienne and, and Montreal Johnson, I think, is being naive. I think Richardson, irrespective of whether he kept the ball and ran, or or decided to hand it off was a threat that held that backside defensive end and prevented him and and gave Florida a numbers advantage even if he was handing the ball off and Florida for the most part was able to take advantage of that. Right, and the NFL is changing now, man. They they like their dual threat quarterbacks, so uh, be interesting to hey, see, man. 
Be interesting. You don't have to look too far for me to see that, man. Jalen Hurts. I mean, I, I got to be honest. I, I liked Hurts at Alabama. He was awesome in Oklahoma, but but he was v- not accurate at either place, right? And, well, he was more accurate at Oklahoma than he was at Alabama. But the criticism of him was that he wasn't an NFL-quality NFL quarterback, which is why Tua took the job from him. And now he's in the NFL just, just ripping it up there in Philadelphia because they've decided to use his skill set in a way that fits him as opposed to trying to make him into Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. That's not who he is. And then you look at Tua in, in Miami and he's lighting it up too. So you look at the amount of talent on that Alabama team. You got Tua, Mac Jones, and uh and Hertz on the team. You got Waddle and uh and and that and Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs and and just all those guys on at, at wide receiver and all the offensive linemen who are in the NFL. But again, you you can like we can argue about stars all we want, but man, is there a better advertisement for stars matter than than those teams that, that were winning national championships there with those guys under center? Yeah, and Alabama used to get a lot of flag for not having successful quarterbacks in the NFL. Now there's three of them playing starting. Well, I wouldn't call Mac Jones successful yet, but yet. Uh, but and two of this is his first good year, right? And so we'll see how that works. I mean, but again, <laughs> I sort of look. It's interesting because it's still an odds based thing, right? I mean. Tom Brady is like a once, well, he's a once in two generations player because he's been playing for 30 years now. But, you know, you got a Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and then like Roethlisberger was next in that mix. And every once in a while, a Russell Wilson popped up and that sort of stuff. And you look at like the Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, Boomer Esiason, Troy Aikman days um, back before that was Steve Young and Joe Montana before him. Um, you know, you get four or five guys who are great, and then everybody else is sort of, all right, yeah, let's, my Ken O'Brien for the Jets. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> get get those sort of the sorts of things and and uh you know that's just the way it is is that college is like each of these recruits is a lottery ticket when you go to college and then when you draft them you have a little bit more information but it's kind of the same principle and uh, you know at, in the NFL you got to get lucky and you and hopefully do good evaluations and have a quarterback who can be cheap for a little while and drive your team forward and and college is very much the same way. So, you know, look, I think that's actually the part where you look at Mullen or you look at Napier and the flip over shot is a pretty big deal. Um, yep. And it's not just a big deal because he flipped him from Miami. It's not just because he's the highest rated recruit um, in the class. It's because you need quarterbacks to be successful at any level of football. And Jaden Rashada may not be an elite quarterback in college. I don't know. And I don't think, you know, I think we have our, I I think we have our perceptions and, you know, we can look at high school stats and we can look at film and all that sort of stuff and, and sort of take our guesses, but he's a lottery ticket to be that guy. He has the talent to be a first or second round quarterback in the NFL. If everything pans out and you sign one of those guys every four years, and you're going to end up having a really, really successful run wherever you are. Because whether or not you recruit crazy everywhere else, having that quarterback who can drive things is going to win you a lot of games when maybe you shouldn't have. So again, you look at Hartman at, at Wake Forest. Wake Forest wouldn't be any good without him there, yep. right? You look at you look at some other programs rising at Utah. Utah wouldn't be near as good without rising there. You look at McCall, Grayson McCall there at uh, what is it, Coastal Carolina. Like they wouldn't be near as good if he wasn't there at quarterback. And so. I'm not saying that that recruiting outside of that isn't important, but man, quarterback is so critical to what you do in college football, especially if you're having to paper over holes in your roster. And one of the reasons now, I mean, <laughs> I actually again, I think Anthony Richardson was decent this year. I think Florida's offense was pretty good. You mentioned they scored 30 points a game against against FBS opponents. Problem is they're giving up 40. So <laughs> so so they are going to need to figure out that side and the quarterback can't fix that problem. 
Yeah. Uh, reminiscent of 2020, man. But except we were scoring 40 points per game and still losing. <laughs> so, hey, you know, out. tomato, tomato. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right, Will, man, thank you for joining me here on Getting Swamp once again. What you got coming up for us on Reading Reaction, Stand Up and Holler, man? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be, I mean, stand up and holler this week. We'll obviously be going through the Florida State game a little bit, um, probably a little bit more in terms of the program overall. And then I'm going to have an article coming up on recruiting, looking specifically at exactly what we were talking about tonight. So, you know, average player rating versus stars and what does it mean and where's Napier sit and, and all that sort of stuff. So that should be up the next day or two. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff coming to hear from Will Miles and Nick Newson over there at readandreaction.com. Will, you got anything else? No, nah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, man. Hey, what if I told you you could feel like a brand new man today? Maybe smell a little bit better, feel a little bit better in your suit and armor. Maybe feel less bushy down there in your boxer briefs, huh? And help maybe spring things back to life in a faster, simpler, easier way. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Dr. David Soderquist has the antidote when you head on over to manscaped.com and purchase the Performance Package 4.0 or Platinum Package 4.0 with promo code SWAMP20. Save 20% plus get free shipping today at manscaped.com on any product from Manscaped. Look, the Performance Package 4.0s worked wonders for me. You combine that with the ball deodorant and even the Manscaped body wash. That's a complete hit with my wife. It can be a game changer for you as well, especially you college kids out there on campus at Florida. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, hey. <laughs> anyway, Manscaped delivers the shipping super fast and it's free with promo code SWAMP20 and you save 20% as well. So if you want to change the game for yourself out there in the social world as well, head on over to Manscaped, purchase your performance package or platinum package 4.0 with promo code SWAMP20 and you will not be upset. I can rest assure you that. Manscaped.com, the ultimate best in men's grooming. Ready, set. You're listening to Getting Swamped with David Soderquist. All right, Will Miles from readingreaction.com getting his takes on the year and what Florida can do moving forward. And uh, always always a good uh, read there over at readingreaction.com if you haven't signed up and subscribed to their newsletter. Uh, yeah, go over there, readingreaction.com. They have some really good content. And uh, for, for people like me, too, when uh, whenever I cover the Florida Gators or I talk about them, uh, it's good to get a um, an analytical perspective. Plus, um, just uh, Will's just really intelligent, man. Um, he brings up a lot of points I never would have thought of sometimes during the season and uh, it's always a great read over there check them out readingreaction.com also on youtube stand up and holler one of the uh the better shows out there if you haven't checked that out either him and nick nudson over there doing a great job as well man i i don't even know where to start when it gets to florida gator news i know that there's a lot of things coming up but bad news hitting the florida gators here earlier on in this week uh jalen kitna arrested for a, a very heinous crime out there, um, something that uh, I, I don't particularly uh, like to get too far into detail, especially on this podcast. I know a lot of you folks uh, probably listen to me in your car. You probably got your kids with you. And uh, I'm not going to say what he was arrested for. It's it's pretty obvious. If you go out there on the Internet, it's been all over ESPN. It's, it's, it's been on TMZ. Um, Basically, Jalen Kitna did some things on the internet he shouldn't have done, and he is going to probably be serving some time. Um, I was informed around 1 p.m. that day. I have a, uh, I have two buddies. Uh, not going to put their names out there. I have one buddy that works for the fire department, one buddy that works for the police department out there in Gainesville, and uh, I was able to get the scoop pretty much before it, it hit out there. And uh, just terrible. 
terrible all the way around. Um, unfortunate incident as well. Uh, Jalen Kitna is released out there on bail, an $80,000 bail. If you do a bond, it's like 10%, so he can get out for like $8,000. Uh, but uh, bad crime, don't want to mention it here on this podcast. As I said, all you got to do is look it up. Type in Jalen Kitna News on Google. It'll pop up right there. Um, but no excuse. No excuse at all. A, uh, a heinous crime that, that nobody should ever do. Uh, and hopefully, you know, as I said, the, the parents can get through it. Uh, it's a tough situation for them as well. So uh, just remember that if you ever have a kid and something like that happens, it's pretty hard on your parents. Uh, your, your parents probably doesn't know, don't know what to think. So Anyway, Jalen Kitna kicked off the team, the Florida Gators football team. So now we're rolling into a bowl game, probably without AR. I'm assuming he is going to opt out and uh, do his draft, NFL draft thing there, and then try his skills out there in the NFL combine. Um, so that leaves Florida with Max Brown at quarterback, uh, Engel as well. And we don't know how healthy Jack Miller is. Um, he, I know he's been just sitting on the sidelines, so uh, you might see some Jack Miller this game as well. We don't know, but as I said, if you look at it, Florida's bread and butter all year has been running the football, but they probably will not have Osiris Torrance in the bowl game as well. So that's going to be a little bit of a damper on that offensive line. But I'll say this, no matter who we're playing, whether it's UCLA, whether it's Oregon State, whether it's, uh, they've got us like four guys that we're playing. We don't, we don't know. Whoever we're playing in the bowl game, win or lose, doesn't really matter to me. I want to see some of these young kids, see what they can do. This is one of those games where you're just like, okay, so what do we got next year? Who's going to be playing? And, and primarily the kids playing probably won't enter the portal. We'll get into a little bit of portal guys that, that, that left the program here today, uh, but what I really want to see out of that that game is where Florida's at now. You know, we lost some guys to the portal. We're probably going to lose a little bit more. Uh, you know, these kids opted out. Some of them are graduating. Some of them are competing in senior bowls. Okay. Without those people in there, say, okay, we're, we're good. What do we got right now? <laughs> and, of course, we're going to hit the portal. We're going to get some guys out of there. Uh, recruiting's not over with yet. We still got a couple more weeks there before early signing day. But really, what I'm really wanting to take away from this game is is where Florida's at, what they need to do moving forward, and what issues that they have on each side of the football. I mean, we could still win in a bowl game. I don't know. I don't predict that we will, um, just based on how many kids are opting out and how many kids are hitting the portal. But... It will be interesting to see just based on that aspect alone. And I know a lot of you folks out there want to go to Las Vegas, so you're hoping for the Las Vegas Bowl there. Uh, <laughs> it's always a good time, even whether your team whether your team wins or loses, it's always a good time in Vegas. Trust me, I went there for my for my bachelor party in 2017, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was a crazy time. <laughs> it's fun down there after a while, but uh, yeah, we'll see where Florida uh, lands in the bowl game. I'm assuming we will get that confirmation on a Monday. But let's get into some of the kids leaving right now that uh, have entered the transfer portal and uh, or gotten suspended or kicked off the team. We already know Jalen Kitna is one of the guys that got suspended or kicked off the team. Now, this is a running list that Bob Redman has out here on the Gator Collective message boards. And if you haven't joined the Gator Collective message boards, it's only an extra $5 a month for your donation. I think it's it's $15 a month. And I'll post a link on my website. Um, you know, usually when you click on the podcast on my website, It'll give you the, the, the where you play where you can play it and listen to it. And I, usually I'll post a link to the Gator Collective. The Gator Collective link is also on my site as well. You join the Gator Collective, $10, $15 a month. 
Uh, you pay an extra five bucks for that message board. And I'll tell you this, it's it's not like the regular message boards you see on like 24-7 on three, anything like that. It's heavily monitored too, so they don't take any kind of like negative comments. So if you want to get away from like the actual message boards and get some good inside info, as well as uh, some good posts there from Redmond, uh, yeah, join the Gator Collective boards, man. Uh, I'll have the link posted, as I said, on my site. You can go to my site and hit the link, or you can just go to the thegatorcollective.com and sign up today, man. It's, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. But uh, yeah, the running list here from Bob Redman. As I said, Jalen Kitna suspended. He's he's kicked off the team. Running backs in the transfer portal here. Naquan Wright announced he was entering the transfer portal along with Lorenzo Lingard, uh, a five-star guy that uh, I really – I've loved Lorenzo Lingard. If you've listened to my podcast, I've interviewed him. He's such a great kid, uh, hard worker there. It's a shame that he couldn't get more play time on the team this year, especially – and maybe special teams where we struggle to uh, return a kick. He's runs a four three. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think it's a four two. I think he's running a four two before he uh, came out of high school. But somebody's getting a good running back there out of the transfer portal. And Lorenzo Lingard, wide receivers leaving Justin Shorter to the NFL. Dejon Reynolds in the transfer portal. Trent Whittemore in the transfer portal. Tight end Nick Elksness in the transfer portal. Griffin McDowell in the transfer portal. Joshua Braun, we all know a while back in the transfer portal as well. Bretton Cox going to the NFL. He was kind of kicked off the team. Linebacker Dewan Black, he's in the transfer portal now. Defensive back Kamar Wilcoxon, transfer portal. Avery Helm, transfer portal. And one that really, really hurt me a lot because I like the kid and I love the way that he plays. Up and coming, Donovan McMillan in the transfer portal. Me and Coach Hayes were so, like, just pumped over Donovan McMillan in the transfer or coming to Florida. Now he's in the transfer portal. So ah, that's a tough one. That's a hard pill to swallow there. That, that one, uh, Donovan McMillan, I would say Donovan McMillan, Lorenzo Lingard, and even Dewan Black, you know, uh, getting in the transfer portal too. That That's some talent leaving Florida, which somebody's going to pick up and uh, hopefully utilize them a little bit better, uh, I guess. Or, uh, you know, uh, there, there was, there were some issues with some of these transfers that they're the reason why they're in the transfer portal. Uh, also special teams, Marco Ortiz in the transfer portal now. So that leaves about, let's see, 15 guys already some in the transfer portal, some going to the NFL. Now, of course, we don't know where uh, Richardson or Osiris Torrance are going. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Osiris Torrance is going to the NFL. I don't even think he has a year of eligibility left anyway. But man, let me give a shout out to Osiris Torrance here too. And I posted this on Twitter and I'll say it again. Osiris Torrance, his whole college career, zero sacks given up and only 24 total quarterback hurries for four years. And that's over like two or 3,000 snaps. That is crazy, ridiculous numbers for an offensive lineman. That is definitely first-round potential. I don't know if any other offensive lineman at his position has done that in their whole college career. I would have to look that up. I don't I don't think that they have. But, man, that is just impressive. And, you know, Cyrus Torrance retweeted it, too. So, yeah, man, um, impressive stat there from Osiris Torrance. As I said, I, I don't expect him to be on the team next year, obviously. Uh, Anthony Richardson, I expect to go to the NFL. We haven't heard an announcement from him yet, so we'll see what happens on that front. But you, you, right there, that's 17. Tradeen, he's going to be graduating. That's 18. I mean, you probably got 20-plus spots opened up already, so you're definitely going to hit that transfer portal hard. You're definitely going to have to... Uh, Get some high school kids in here as well. You want to do that. You want to close out early signing day, right? And, of course, we still got National Signing Day as well and a couple you know, a couple more months down the road as well. So it's not over, but most kids sign on early signing day, and there's about 10% of kids left. So 
Uh, you really want to get those kids in early signing day. I know Eugene Wilson said he was going to sign early, so that is a that is a wide receiver to look out for, uh, along with Andy Jean and Aiden Mazzell. Uh, pretty good wide receiver core uh, going in, but we'll see. We'll see if there's some surprises here early signing day. Uh, I know we're in the we are in the mix for some five star names. I'm not sure if they come to Florida or not, but I'd love to pull at least one five star this cycle because that would be great. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of surprises, a lot of dramatics on signing day. And, uh, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe Florida can sneak up on uh, a, a team or we're, uh, hopefully Miami because I hate them. But hopefully they can sneak up on a team at the last minute and pull a guy. We'll see. We'll see. But also announced 12-team playoff coming in 2024 and 2025. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say this. I got mixed feelings about it. I, I'm not excited about a 12-team playoff. I... It, I, I, I can't say I'm not excited. I, I am excited because the games that you're going to get out of it. You're going to get some pretty cool, awesome games to watch. That That's that's the the big thing about it. And, and I always love games. But you're also giving 12 more teams the opportunity to compete for a national championship. Now, it may be because I'm an old guy and I'm 38 and I'm used to the BCS. I loved the BCS because you had to be flawless to get to the national championship. Like you had to, if you were in a weaker conference, like a Pac-12 or a Big Ten, like you had to win every single game. You could not lose one game. I mean, it was impossible to get into that 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 national championship if you lost one game. I was okay with the four-team playoff. I thought that that was, that was cool. It should have been set up that way from the beginning, I think. But, I mean, in the SEC, you could afford to lose one game and still make it to the, the the championship in the BCS era. Now we have a college football playoff, and that thing got shook up this week. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if they're going to – it looks like Ohio State's going to be put back in that playoff. I don't know if they're going to put Alabama back in there. I would assume maybe they, they do. I don't know. They they say they want to get the best teams in the playoff. I don't think TCU is one of the best teams. I think Alabama is better than TCU. But TCU lost to Kansas State yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it's – it's USC's out too. They got blown out by Utah. So – that that playoffs could be shaking up, but anyway, I'm not trying to get sidetracked here. A 12 team playoff, though, as I said, I got mixed feelings. I think it's cool for the overall game aspect, but I, I just it, it allows for too many mistakes. Like a, a two loss Georgia team could get into the playoff, or a two loss Alabama team could get into the playoff, a three loss Alabama team could get into the playoff. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to have it set up, though. They may put some rules on it to where it's 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 laid out differently, and it's not one through 12. Uh, we'll have to see there, but. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but at the same time, I, I like. I'm not going to complain. Let's see how it. Let's see how it works. Let's let's just see. Let's let's run it uh, in 2024. Uh, next year is going to be the last 14 playoff that we see. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot a lot more parity in that, I guess. But um, it does. I'll say this: the good part about the 12 team playoff is it shuts up a lot of the other like teams, and when they say, "Oh, well, we." we were undefeated and we played in the, the Sun Belt. And they're like, it's just like, okay, dude, well, we'll we played in the SEC and we lost a game or we went undefeated. That's a lot harder of a schedule. So you'll get those teams that argue and say, oh, we should be in the playoff. Okay, well, now you're in. Now you can prove yourself, right? So that that's kind of what I like now. Hopefully that 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 comes to fruition and they set it up pretty well. I, I, I've seen some models out there that are – 
uh, I, I'm just like, uh, I don't know about that. But then there's models out there. I'm like, oh, that would be pretty cool. So as I said, I don't know how they're going to lay out the format if they take championship winners and mix them in with one through six. I, I have no clue. I don't, I don't, I don't know how that thing's going to be set up, but we'll we'll find out in the years to come. And also with Oklahoma and Texas joining the conference as well, so that's going to put another spin on things too. But let's get into a little bit more Florida news before we close out this podcast. And the last thing I wanted to hit on is DJ Lagway, five-star quarterback from Willis, Texas, is committing on December the 7th. That'll be in three days on a Wednesday. He's choosing between Baylor, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, USC, Clemson. He's got a whole bucket list of schools that he is on now. Billy Napier and staff did visit him a couple days ago, or a day ago, actually. And uh, we don't know what happened there, but he did visit USC. He did have a great time at USC. So if you ask me, I think it comes down to Florida and USC here. I'm not going to say that it's Florida. I want to say that it's Florida, but we've been so sure about commitments like the Kamani McLean incident, and it didn't go our way. So I'm going to pump the brakes here, and I'm just going to wait on December 7th. Now, if Florida does pick up DJ Lagway, this puts a good, good spin on recruiting, especially for 2024. So if you look at this year's recruiting class in 2023 cycle, right? We had we were going we were in it for Rashada at the beginning of the cycle. We didn't get him. We were able to get Marcus Stokes. Um, unfortunately, that incident happens and he's his scholarship yanked. Uh, but we were able to flip Rashada back. The problem with that is we got Rashada and we flipped him late in the cycle. So now kids that have already committed to Miami, now are they going to stay? Are they going to leave? Will they flip? Or are we, or we don't know. I mean, we, we've seen the text. We've seen the copy and paste text that's saying that they're committed to you. That don't mean anything, though. Um, the problem with that is you got Rashada late in the cycle. And now that it's almost two to three weeks signing day, you're, you're trying to convince kids, hey, I just pulled this quarterback, which it was a good pull. Don't get me wrong. And it turned some heads. I've, I've already known it has. So I, I know that there's there's players looking at Florida now. That's all I'm going to say. I, I can't put anything out there. But um, it did turn heads. But you always want to build your class off the quarterback. The quarterback, once that quarterback commits, that's why every team tries to get a quarterback early so they can build that class. Florida kind of struggled there this year and and they ate some they ate some uh some losses in recruiting because of that but now you got Rashada back in the fold hopefully close out early signing but getting a quarterback like this a five-star quarterback early in your class and it, it, DJ Lagway even said it himself he says I want to commit early so I can help build the class around me so he's committing on December the 7th he's likely to stay in whatever class he commits to I'm not going to say that he's going to stay anyway because you still got to hold on to him throughout the year. Lots of NIL deals being thrown out there. But he said he wants to build a class around him. So uh, December the 7th, if you can get a five-star quarterback of that caliber in your class to start that class, we could have a top-five class. You get a five-star quarterback this early that can recruit for you, and that's good news. So you get DJ Lagway early in this cycle your recruiting class is probably going to look really good, especially with Miles Graham and Chauncey Bowens already committed in the class. Miles Graham, a five-star guy right now, it looks like. He's got four stars behind his name because it's early in the cycle. But usually, if you have a composite within the 1 to 32 to 35 range, you're usually a five-star. So he's a number two linebacker in the class, Miles Graham. Uh, you know, a Florida family kid there as well. You go from Atlanta, Georgia, Chauncey Bowens. Good running back there in the top 250 as well. So a good start to the 2024 class if you can pick up DJ Lagway. But we'll see, man. 
we will see. Hopefully we get some good news on December the 7th and we can start off our 2024 class with a bang. And it looks like if we do get DJ Lagway, let me go ahead and do this class calculator here real quick. Let me add him to it. We would have 76.88 points with three commits so far, and that would put us at the number nine class in the 2024 composite rankings. Now, a lot of these classes that are above us, they have more commits than we do, but we'd have three commits and have the number nine class in the 2024 cycle already. So that would put us in a good spot, especially, you know, getting in a, an elite quarterback. You can build the class off as well. So a, a high priority kid here. Um, can't fail on this one. you got to get DJ Lagway in this class, if you ask me. But folks, that'll do it. That'll do it for this episode of Getting Swamp. want to thank Will Miles for coming on and sharing his thoughts. As, as always, as I said, one of the most intelligent minds out there in Florida Gator media. And next week, I'll have on a recruiting guest on the next episode to go over wherever DJ Lagway commits and where Florida needs to come down the stretch. Early signing day, man. It's coming up. What kind of uh, guys are we still in it for and what to expect, man? Uh, I have on Connor Clark here next week to cover recruiting. But folks, that'll do it. For this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you once again for listening to Getting Swamped.